Welcome to the Teaching Literacy Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Downs. I'm a fourth grade teacher, PhD student at Utah State University, and someone who just wants to know more about reading. This podcast is about bridging literacy research into practice. Every episode, you'll hear from a literacy researcher about their work, why it matters, and how to turn it into practice in your classroom. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the Teaching Literacy Podcast. It is great to have you here for this episode. This episode is a bit extra exciting for me because I get to interview somebody I know quite well. Dr. Kathleen A.J. Moore from Utah State University will be joining us on the show today. And we actually report on a study that we completed and published together on the academic and effective outcomes of dyad reading. Now, dyad reading is a practice where you pair a lower-level reader with a higher-level reader, and they choral reader, they synchronously read a text out loud together at the same time. So we cover today what the academic and attitude outcomes of dyad reading is on a sample of third graders that we used. Dr. Moore is a professor of language and literacy at Utah State University. Her research interests include comprehension as a cognitive process, supporting struggling readers, and effective practices for teaching English language learners. She's also served as my mentor and then my dissertation chair throughout my time at Utah State University, and she is a fantastic scholar with lots of great insight on how to make classroom practices very effective to help support readers. So in this episode, we describe what dyad reading is, how it's evolved over the past few decades, the results from our specific study, And then, of course, we end with ideas for how you can implement dyad reading in your classroom. This episode has plenty of takeaways for your classroom, so make sure to tune in. And then once the interview is over, stick around for my two cents on what we talked about. Dr. Kit Moore, welcome to the Teaching Literacy Podcast. Thank you, Jake. It's great having you here. I'm excited to be able to talk with you today because we're actually discussing a study that we completed together. Uh, We published the the study determining the academic and effective outcomes of dyad reading among third graders together. It just was published a few months ago, and it it includes dyad reading, which is something you've been involved in with, with various capacities, and then I sort of came into it through a different way. So I thought perhaps to, to start, we could both share how we became interested in, 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 in a lower level reader reading out loud synchronously with, with a higher level reader. Do you wanna share how you came in, in interested in this topic? Well, you'll recognize this trajectory because it was a, a graduate student of mine who was working as a reading specialist in Texas. Uh, Chase Young is his name and now he's established uh, continued interest in this area of paired reading and oral reading. So Chase wanted to try uh, a version of uh, the neurological impress method with his second graders and then third graders as a literacy coach. So he designed a study and that's how it was launched. So in both um, the most recent and the first case, it was graduate students wanting to try out something in their classrooms and investigate it more scientifically. Excellent. And so that was, so Dr. Young, we had him on the podcast uh, last year. He was one of the first episodes where he talked about his book, uh, Tiered Fluency Instruction. And then that was when you were still in Texas. And then, and then you came to Utah State and did 
another one from a graduate student, this time involving dyad reading. Mm -hmm. And it's from that study where I kind of came in contact with, with dyad reading. I was, I think it was my first semester in, in the doc program, and I was in a meeting with my principal, and she handed us this, it was, it was a little flyer that talked about dyad reading and summarized the outcomes from the study that you did um, with, with Lisa Brown. And, uh, and I, I saw your name at the bottom, and I, I was interested, and I, uh, you know, I knew that you were at Utah State, and so we, we chatted a few times, and, and I started using it in my classroom, and from there I became interested in investigating it in a more academic way, and voila, <laughs> here we are. Well, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Lisa Brown. She, too, was a graduate study who came, um, and her interest just historically um, it's kind of interesting she was at a conference and she heard Tim Shanahan speak about an interesting study that challenged the notion of always having kids reading um, instructional level text and within that audience in response to Tim Shanahan was Brad Wilcox uh, from BYU and he stood up and sort of defended and explained uh, the study better uh, to Tim Shanahan. Well, Lisa heard that, came back and thought she would like to try uh, a dyad reading uh, approach in her third grade classroom and that was the sort of the intermediate step in my um, history with this method. So uh, you, you're familiar with Lisa's study and of course it was a sort of a preface for what you wanted to do with yours. Definitely, and and we'll get into a little bit more of, of that particular study here in a minute, but let's lay some foundations for dyad reading. Uh, so just to lay down a definition of dyad reading, we define it as a higher level reader that's reading out loud synchronously with a lower level reader over repeated sessions, and usually that text is, is, a, is a complex text for the lower level reader. The, the 2018 study found that the assisted readers, um, for their part, you know, when they read text two grade levels and above, they seem to make the best progress, but that even in, in the 2018 study, uh, three and four grade levels proved uh, still beneficial. So Yeah, and the results in that study, um, they were hard to discern which level really was maximizing the experience, but we had to look across prosody, fluency, comprehension, uh, and it wasn't a hard find. It was sort of, I think, given the trajectory of those third graders, we could recommend that just two years or above, two levels above the assisted readers was sufficient to make the gains. So let's go on a uh, little tour of previous studies involving dyad research. Uh, it started in the late 1980s. Um, with Eldridge, who was also out of, out of BYU. Uh, can you give us a summary of some of those early studies and then what's been done more recently? Well, it is kind of an interesting um, look back because there are variations on a theme. Uh, how do we help weaker readers get better? And how can teachers do it in classrooms was the bigger question. Uh, Eldridge and others looked at how to help children in a clinical setting or pulled out of a classroom and one-on-one -on -one reading support could include reading aloud together or in um, in some cases 
the better reader modeling the reading and then the weaker reader following along or repeating that. Um, in the NIM model, the Neurological Impress model, the notion was that the strong, stronger reader would model or imprint the fluency of the text into the dominant ear of the, the weaker reader. So it had um, this notion of modeling and imprinting, uh, not just supporting. But um, all of these are variations on this notion of how do we help weaker readers <clears throat> and who can do that? Can it be a parent? Can it be a peer uh, or a teacher or even a clinician? And so these have taken various shapes and forms. But importantly, it was how can we help more children and uh, help teachers accomplish this in a classroom where there's one teacher and many students? Yes, I think that's a great point to make. And as we look at the history of dyad reading, there's, there's sort of an evolution of, of both how it was used in classrooms, but then also how researchers have, mm -hmm. um, have, have investigated it. Uh, so in the, the, the original 1986 study with uh, Eldridge and Butterfield, they talked about dyad reading as being um, a heterogeneous alternative to traditional basal grouping. And, and what they meant by that was that uh, they actually had their students working in, in triads. So they had a higher level student, a medium level student, and then a lower level reading student. And they would be doing the sort of the basal, the class curriculum work together. And the, the two lower readers would, the medium and the lower would, would dyad read the, uh, the text while the higher level reader read it silently. And then they would do group work together. So originally it was meant um, certainly to, to support that lower reader, but just as much to help the, the student access the regular classroom curriculum and material and, and not so much as a separate intervention designed purely for fluency or comprehension outcomes. Um, and, and originally the, the first several first studies did not implement dyad reading with, with entire classes. Um, you know, with, Bel but, uh, with Eldridge and Butterfield's original study where they had students working in triads, only two-thirds of a class was dyad reading with that upper level, the, the higher level readers reading silently and then uh, participating in the group work. Um, another one, Eldridge and Quinn from 1988, they, and then Morgan, Wilcox and Eldridge, both of those studies, the, the Morgan one was in the year 2000, they, they screened across you know, an entire grade level for students who were performing below proficiency and then used those students to to diet read. And that's, I think, uh, as we get to the implications down at uh, towards the end of the episode, that's going to be an important thing to remember. And then another really important thing to remember was that in these early studies, students were actually exited from dyad reading, that once they reached proficient fluency levels, um, the, the, the way the research was designed, it was, you know, they, they had sort of achieved what they needed to achieve and then were transitioned into, uh, you know, more silent reading practices and to be able to continue to develop that, but um, not continuing um, dyad reading mm -hmm. ad infinitum. And then also those early studies, they minimized um, the higher level reader's participation as, as, as the lead reader, that um, they were either rotated in and out, you know, they were either rotated weekly or, uh, you know, the higher level readers in the original study never actually did do dyad reading. Uh, but, but this way that the, there wasn't the, the, the lead readers were not doing the, the, 
dyad reading dosage day after day after day. And so those were sort of, that's sort of been the evolution where now more recent studies, studies have been uh, taking a whole class and dividing it in half and then, and then pairing you know, the highest level reader in the whole class, you know, with, with the highest level reader in that lower group and then, and then going down the, the line. And that's um, both for practice and research, that's a significant uh, change from how it was originally conceived and then implemented. Well, one way to think about it was it. the earliest versions probably did begin as an intervention for specific students. And then, as you mentioned, the Eldridge's work, it was more of an instructional option. It was just a mode to access the curriculum and function as readers with helpers. But it's it's again returned to being a whole class intervention, which was not the way it originated. And I think there are reasons in the research for why it sort of shifted to this whole group uh, focus. I, you know, some of the, the Morgan 2000 and, and then Brown's 2018 study you were a part of started to really look at text complexity. And so you had uh, in the Morgan one students reading at grade level, one level above and then two levels above. And then in, in your study, um, it was two, three, and four above, but that that challenge was maintained that as a student grew in proficiency, they were continually challenged with, with two levels above. And, and so I, I sometimes wonder if tweaks like that in, in study design led to mm. interpretations or sort of changed how it was actually used in practice, uh, which I think is an interesting outcome. Well... Everyone, well, everyone who teaches children knows the importance of reading and the reality that there are many children who are are not proficient readers, not um, enthusiastic readers who practice and get really good. So it is the challenge. And we know from research that to move children's ability to comprehend is really, really difficult. So any option that communicates to teachers if you do this your all your children will read faster smoother better and with comprehension they're pretty enticing to teachers so they can be quickly adopted with the best of intentions definitely and um i think that'll come out as we that that theme will come out more as we as we go throughout our conversation here so Let's get to the, the study, what we set it up as and what we were trying to achieve. Our main interest was to, uh, it was a replication of the 2018 study. So we wanted to solidify a little bit better those academic and so the comprehension and fluency outcomes from students who participate in dyad reading. But we also added this attitude component, uh, which was something that I was, I was very interested in because I, when I was originally using this, I had, um, in my classroom, I, ha I had a mom that came to me that, you know, her, her student didn't didn't qualify for special education services, but really was struggling, you know, three grade levels below with, with reading. And so I, I tried using diet reading with the student and he showed great progress. And but also what I noticed was that he he enjoyed reading more. And, and as a teacher, sort of those anecdotal notes is, is what got me interested in looking at the academics. And, and maybe I can connect back to that at the end with our at, with our attitude mm -hmm. outcomes. But we, we sought to see if you do, do, do the attitudes change for students who are in diet reading and then what are the you know fluency and, and comprehension outcomes. So 
we set it up with 219 third graders uh, across four schools. There were 11 teachers. Nine of those teachers did the treatment, which was dyad reading 15 minutes a day for 95 days using two or more uh, grade levels above the lower, the, the, the assisted readers um, leveled reading level. Um, and we, these were all Title I schools, and we tried to make it uh, naturalistic, I think is what we said in the manuscript, where we wanted to use, we wanted to use the measures that the teachers were using, we wanted to use the calendar they were using, we wanted to try and embed it as naturally into a classroom as we could. So we used um, the, we used a cadence um, as our, uh, at day zero, so before the intervention, and then also at day 60 of 95 of the intervention, and that was according to the school calendar that we were just, um, you know, again, we were trying to stick to how, letting the school run as it naturally would, and us just uh, using this the intervention to see what happened of it. And then we also had uh, used the, the STAR uh, silent comprehension uh, assessment that's produced by Renaissance, and we had measures for that at day zero, day 60, and day 90. And then we also added in the ERAS component, the Elementary Reader Attitude Survey, which is uh, was made by McKenna and Keir in the early 90s, and it has, um, is it 20 or 40? Or it's 30. It's 40, 40, questions, 40 questions, 24 recreational mm -hmm. attitudes, and then 24 academic reading attitudes. Right. It's just questions on a four-point scale, and there's Garfield pictures above it, and they just select, you know, which from the statement which best uh, matches their, their, their attitude, their feeling towards the question. So Kit, will you explain some of the uh, procedures that we use to, to train the teachers and the mm -hmm. dyads and, and get everything up and rolling? Yes, and just to pick up from what you said, uh, we added uh, 10 questions to the ERAS that targeted dyad reading and uh, the questions reflected what we knew from the research about paired reading. So the questions targeted sort of the social part of it, the confidence level, did they feel more fluent? Did they feel like they comprehended better? So those 10 questions allowed us to target specifically uh, outcomes or uh, relationships with dyad reading. And um, so we met with the teachers in this case, the teachers had already heard about dyad reading. It was being promoted in the district and across the state, so they were being encouraged to do that. Um, that's one reason why we didn't have more in the control group, because some of these teachers felt that their principals really wanted them to be using dyad reading in their classrooms. So um, we met with interested teachers uh, based on flyers and getting the word out across the district. And the teachers met to talk about the, the, the intervention or the method as well as the previous studies and then the protocol for admin, you know, administering the assessments, procedures, ways to make dyad uh, reading work in their classrooms. And they seemed quite comfortable actually with carrying out dyad readings, the 15 minutes, the dividing of their class into two groups and pairing up um, the reading partners. And, and we did ask them a few questions up front and we followed up at the end to ensure that they delivered what they uh, intended to with dyad reading um, and what kind of feedback they had. One of the questions 
we could attend to, but we also asked them would they continue to do it next year. So that was one indicator of um, how they felt it worked for their students. And so they, uh, the, the teachers implemented dyad reading within their classrooms for 95 days. And, and just by the way that the scheduling worked out, we started it very end of September, and then it was uh, in March, and different classes sort of different beginning and ending dates. But we did 95 days from the late fall into the mid, mid to early spring. And um, after that, we, uh, you know, we collected the data, and then we, uh, we statistically analyzed it, which is... Tyson. We love Tyson. Um, that was uh, Tyson Barrett, the third author on this report. He helped us uh, do the, the uh, statistical part. Uh, but we, we looked at changes over time by group and then also changes of time between groups. So what I mean by that is we, we looked at how did uh, the students that participate in dyad reading progress and we looked at whether they were the higher level lead reader, the lower level assisted reader, and then we also compared um, how the lower level readers in the treatment group, so the assisted readers, compared against lower level readers in the control group that, that didn't uh, do diet reading. We did the same thing in the, you know, for the higher level readers. So I'll sort of explain what trends we saw from the, the dyad group, just the lower level readers and the higher level readers. And, and then where it gets interesting, uh, Kit, I will let you explain about what we found when we started comparing, doing comparisons between the control and the treatment group. So as far as progress from the, uh, from the dyad, from the students who participate in dyad reading, uh, they showed pretty strong growth um, across the day zero to 60 on the cadence measures and then also zero to 90 on the, the star uh, measures. The lower level readers, they grew 200, or they, sorry, not 200, they grew 22 words per minute in rate, um, which was actually a few words more than the uh, Brown study from 2018, and it was 60 days versus 90 days, so they had great growth there. Uh, they grew a whole grade level in STAR. The average at the beginning of the study was 2.6, so uh, grade two, you know, month six, and then by the end of the study, they were at grade three you know, month six. So, um, you know, as, as a cohort, that group ended the year at benchmark, which is fantastic. Uh, they had a 4.5% increase in their reading accuracy, 11 word average increase on the retail, and they over doubled their, their score on the, the maze from a cadence. And that's the silent, you know, reading assessment where every seventh word is blanked out and you have to circle the word that fits in best. Uh, elite readers for their part, they performed really well too. Uh, their gains were not quite as large as the assisted readers, um, but, but the lead readers did perform well as two. Um, but also for in this study, our control group actually did very e equally as well. And so uh, perhaps I'll kick it over to you, Dr. Moore, to, to explain the between group comparisons once we started to look at uh, how the treatment group did um, when, we, when we compared it to the control group. Yes, yeah, so... In a way, we were surprised how well both the control the, um, and the treatment groups, the dyad readers and those not participating in this district made very good reading gains. So those teachers were getting the job done. Um, and that's not always the case that um, if you don't do an intervention that you end up with similar results. So... What was most interesting in the findings on the reading measures was the significant growth of the lower 
dyad readers. They made the most progress and significantly better progress than their um, peers, lower readers, without dyad reading. And so it seemed that the dyad reading practice uh, really helped these lower level third graders kick into gear and make up good growth. In fact, they started to close the gap. Um, an interesting finding, however, is they did this all within the first 60 days. Uh, they had really soared in the first 60 days. They continued to make growth from day 60 to 90, and the control group did not. Excellent. And um, those, those changes were, I mean, that was an interesting finding for us when we start thinking about, you know, how much dyad read, how many, you know, is there a dosage? Is there a minute amount of, of dyad reading that appears to be most beneficial? And when we talk about, um, you know, that the, the majority of the progress uh, for the for the students who did dyad reading happened in the first 60 days, that might suggest that, you know, maybe for a half year, for 15 minutes a day, maybe that's too high of a, maybe, maybe not necessarily too high of a dosage, but perhaps there's a point where there's diminishing mm -hmm. returns, where there might be a different practice that we can transition students into, or as, uh, you know, those students reach proficient levels, transition them out of, of dyad reading. Well, I noticed, I, I went back and looked at some of the details, and most of the prior dyad-like studies um, had about 22 to 24 hours of intervention, if you count up minutes over so many days. And yet, in our results, it looks like you only need about 15 hours. So if that's spread out, uh, that's in the first 100 days of school, if you started it from day one by day 100. But it, really, I think um, the results show that only a third of the school year could be, could be committed to dyad reading for those who need it, as you said. Yeah, um, and, and that was something that, you know, earlier on in my career as a teacher, I didn't really think about things like diminishing returns, you know, from an instructional practice. It was... Uh, you know, this is a practice. It's a great practice. We're going to use this practice for every student for as long as, as we need to. But uh, readers have a trajectory, right? It's a developmental progress. And, um, you know, what's appropriate for them when they are at lower levels of oral reading fluency might not be the most appropriate when they're at, at higher levels. And, and this study really helped. And I, and I think in our conversations we've had over the past two years, I'm sure you've seen it as well, in me, but that it's really helped challenge my perspectives on uh, how to implement uh, an instructional technique in the classroom and for how long. Well, I think teachers in the good old U.S. of A. feel like they have to help every student. And if we can do that equitably or even democratically, we sign on. We'd say we want everybody to benefit the same, although that counters how we really uh, no children and the the need for differentiation because of that developmental trajectory. Definitely. Um, let's let's switch gears to attitudes and then we can uh, do more along the discussion recommendations route. And attitudes, this is where it got very interesting <laughs> um, because there wasn't a study in the dyad line that really investigated attitude changes. Um, there were some in, you know, there's related to the literature of, of read to impress from, from Dr. Young, like you've mentioned, and then the paired reading that's popular in the UK. They've done some stuff with attitudes, but this was the first one to really look at attitude change for dyad reading. 
and um, and I went into it. My hypothesis was that uh, that students who learn to read more, or, or sorry, not who learn to read more, students who learn to read better would become would have more positive attitudes toward reading because they're able to do it better. That was sort of my working hypothesis, and, and that's one that. Um, especially in the UK's paired reading literature is, is very prevalent, uh, especially, you know, a few decades ago that if you improved a student's reading ability that, that they would also improve in their mm -hmm. attitude. But um, what we found from it is we actually found that the academic attitudes declined for the lead and the assisted readers uh, in the treatment group, so the students who did dyad reading, and they remained fairly stable for the higher and level lower readers in the control. And it wasn't quite statistically significant. You know, in, in, uh, when we were doing research, we try to say if something is happening due to chance or not. And this wasn't quite to the level of statistical significance, but it was a trend that was important for us uh, to consider of why would the attitudes toward our treatment group decline where the reading attitudes, especially the academic attitudes in the control group stayed stable and that was also a finding if you want to talk about the partner reading questions mm -hmm. that we added on and, and then we can sort of get to some analysis on our thoughts on attitudes after. Yeah so again although not quite statistically significant in, in other words the the differences between the groups at the end the trend was and it was pretty significant in the sense that every item went down uh, a little bit in the uh, dyad readers in their views of academic reading and recreation, but their partner reading, that's 10 extra questions we ask about uh, how they perceived dyad reading did go down. And that that's a consequence we wouldn't want. We wouldn't want their views of reading or themselves as readers or as reading partners uh, to decrease through this activity. So again, it relates to, did we, was it too much, too long, not presented in a way that uh, would encourage them to want to do this activity. And uh, there were teacher effects. In other words, some teachers groups um, declined more than others, which tells us maybe certain teachers were able to keep students' views more elevated. Um, and remember, these are all third grade readers well into third grade, and they know enough about themselves as readers and reading in school, reading outside of school. So I wanted to listen to their views about reading and then especially about this imposed intervention of dyad reading. Yeah, I that was... Uh, when I first really started looking at the raw data from that and then sort of doing some preliminary data analysis before, you know, before I sent it to Tyson, that was really, uh, I mean, it rocked my world's a strong <laughs> term, but, uh, you know, it really, it, it challenged me. It challenged my hypothesis because I, I went in and thought that attitudes would improve and, and they didn't. And, and that led to several discussions between us of, of, uh, of our hypothesis of, of why they would decline. And a, a few of the ideas that we talked about was, uh, you know, maybe that dosage is a little too consistent, a little too high, that if students are doing it for 15 minutes a day every day, you know, it, perhaps it would have been interesting if we would have had an, an interim, you know, at day 60 or day 45 to see how it changed, you know, if it was stable from day zero to 45 and then declines a bunch from 45 to 90. But 
maybe over time they they don't really enjoy the practice and then and that you know influences negatively influences the attitudes um I mean, what other thoughts did you have? Why? What? Are, why do you think well, that? Well, even ten-year-olds or nine-year-olds know when they have to do something versus when they want to do something, and so maybe they saw it as a an assigned task. Um, we theoretically we could anticipate that there might be social benefits or uh, increased attitudes because you're working with a partner, but if they didn't get to choose the partner or if uh, they got stuck with a partner, there are just some social dynamics that um, come into play here. Uh, we looked at gender and didn't see a lot that differentiated uh, the boys from the girls, but one finding was that the higher reading girls' attitudes decreased the most. And so any teacher would want to sustain um, attitudes about reading. We know from previous research that attitudes on reading tend to decline anyway, so we wouldn't want an intervention to contribute to that decline if at all possible. So third grade teachers as well as other grade level folks have to think about what am I having students do and what is the cost in their view of reading or their view of themselves as readers that we would want to offset either in how we present it or as you mentioned before including choice um, and maybe selecting partners there are other things to consider than just we want them to get better at reading fluency and that's a great point to think about because as, as, a, as educators we tend to operate like doctors we want to do no harm and um, I, th I think a common goal among teachers is that we want to create readers. We don't want illiterate students, meaning students that have the ability to read but choose not to. We want students who enjoy reading and that can critically process this world around them through text. And part of my hypothesis of, I guess my conclusion of, of why I think the reader attitudes decline had to deal with with the, the structure and with the how, ways of how we structured the study. And that was very formative for me as as someone who um you know living life in a in a classroom you know teaching sort of in the trenches but then also looking at things more more rigorously but the 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 para that i mentioned before that came in uh that the student that i had um first used dyad reading with you know i had lots of great incentives for him to be enjoying it of he got to pick mm -hmm. you know in the class who would you pick you know who would be your partner to to choose and he was able to select his so he selected his best friend in the class and they were able to to come before school and i had these big soft cushy chairs <laughs> and i would you know give um you know i didn't really have like a reward system but occasionally you know i'd i'd, I'd give them you know just a prize or something that i had around and and there so there were a lot of things i thought it was the dyad reading that was you know, was why they enjoyed coming in the morning, but it probably was just because he got to hang out with his buddy. <laughs> that so, I but guess it was special I, too. There yeah. was a Hawthorne effect. It was new. It was kind of special. It was novel. So, um, but teachers could think of those things and try to incorporate them too. Yeah. So I think that's a great segue into us talking about how teachers can bridge this research into effective 
practice within their classroom. So Kit, perhaps share um, what implications you think for this, this study has for assisted readers, and then, and then I'll give a few thoughts on what it means for lead readers. So when we're talking about assisted readers in, in dyad, it's youngsters in our classroom getting help from somebody. Uh, so it, a dyad reading or variations of it is a way to practice reading. And we want, especially uh, weaker readers, to practice and in school because many of them don't practice outside of school. So it is a way to practice reading and experience some success in that. So the assisted readers should feel supported, which means we don't want to make it stigmatized as something negative or needy or something the partner has to help because the teacher made me do it. So um, enough practice with texts that stretch the reader, expose the uh, weaker reader to words, to ideas, to more complex syntax. So I think we should use what I would call a stretch text and allow that student successful access, exposure to text he or she may not read, uh, uh, you know, without that kind of support. And the goal then, in many cases, is improve fluency. And in our study and in the uh, Brown et al. study, it was really accuracy and fluency, even prosody as goals for that reader. If the reader improves in fluency, accuracy, and prosody, comprehension is likely uh, to to come along with it. So I think um, at teachers do care about their weaker readers and what to do. And 12 to 15 minutes every day or every other day uh, is one way to get that job done. The implications for lead readers, uh, this was something I had to also get warmed up to the idea about, but you know, in, in our manuscript, we talked about how that the, the tutors, they're there to support the assisted reader, but that they themselves are not the primary beneficiary of the practice. They are, they are the tutor. Um, and so perhaps there's there's benefits from them doing you know extended oral reading practice, but as far as benefits beyond what they would, we don't really we haven't really seen added benefits for the tutors, and that's consistent with uh, our study, uh, the twenty twenty one, and then also the one you did with Lisa Brown in twenty eighteen, and perhaps for lead readers is is they experience uh, sort of a, a, a double whammy of. Uh, reasons they might not enjoy the practice or, or benefit from it because first off you know these are your higher level readers so their preference between reading a text silently and reading it out loud is they probably choose to read it silently and so a higher level reader reading a text out loud is is sort of against what their preference would be but then also that they're reading aloud a text that's likely slower than what their preferred rate would be because they're reading with an assisted reader so the, Especially if the text is actually below their own instructional yes. or stretch level. Yes, um, that's that's a great point to bring up in that. The, so maybe a triple whammy of then they're reading a text <laughs> that might not be as com- complex or as stimulating as, as they would enjoy or as, as they would prefer. And it's so and it's not necessarily about preference here, because if, if you ran your classroom on preferences, then, uh, yeah. you know, there'd be a lot of other fun <laughs> things going on. But it is about... Uh, you know, it, the 
it's probably more appropriate to have students engaging in, in silent reading to practice uh, and, and become better at that. And so my major takeaway was really to uh, limit the dosage of dyad reading for those those lead readers and, and there's a couple ways that we can do that when we talk about recommendations but the the lead readers are, are tutors they they um, there's no real added benefit for them and, and I think of the takeaways from this study that's perhaps one of the largest um, so recommendations for practice so uh, so Kit what would you recommend if so there's a teacher listening to this podcast perhaps they've heard of dyad reading or they've used other variations of partner reading and they're interested in using it in their classroom um, but sort of see this the complexity and nuance of it that we've we've tried to convey what would you recommend for a teacher to to bridge this into practice in their classroom but one thing I would recommend is not to just try to simplify something down to the lowest common denominator and paste that onto every student in the classroom and that that might be the uh, an important understanding that in the article we really talk about developing a more nuanced understanding more sophisticated use of this possible activity so um, certainly we want teachers to know where their students are so some kind of assessment uh, data or information that helps them understand who their readers are who may need help and then they have several options on how to help um, students weak readers practice more um, so the study indicated to us that they should measure attitudes and monitor that formatively a couple times through the year pay attention to that another implication is that teachers talk very productively very proactively about helping one another as readers and that it is about getting better that for third grade and above it is about both oral reading fluency but even more so about silent reading with comprehension that there are different kinds of reading uh, that they can practice in classrooms and that maybe dyad is just one of those ways they get better at reading and they help one another get better at reading thank you for sharing those uh, some of my recommendations my big takeaways of what I would recommend to someone implementing this in their classroom would, would be very purposeful with uh, who you include in dyad reading and that includes your your assisted readers the weaker readers and then also your stronger readers the, the lead readers uh, I don't recommend the, the wholesale doing it with your whole classroom anymore even though and that was as a result of, of this this study I see that there's you know uh, specifics of that that probably aren't the best um, but and that's part of my evolution as a teacher too where I I'd used it whole classroom and then uh, you know this, this previous year I was being much more strategic about it. So uh, students that would be a good candidate to, per, to participate as a, an assisted reader in dyad reading would be a student that, would, that is below, below benchmark. And um, if they're significantly below benchmark, uh, you know, in fluency, they're, like, they're gonna need other supports as well. But uh, dyad reading can be a way to support their, their reading. Um, I've, really, I've really grown to admire some of those early studies where the dyad reading was integrated within the classroom day. It wasn't a set-aside intervention. And so perhaps viewing it as, you know, we're reading this really challenging text today, and maybe it's in science, maybe it's part of your reading curriculum, but that, that those assisted readers, those students that need that extra support can be paired with a 
uh, higher level reader uh, to help access that text while being productive as well. Not just them listening to the text, but now they can be productive and also work their way through it. So I would be very purposeful with, with who you select as assisted readers, but also I'd be very selective with who you pick as uh, lead readers. Um, you know, the tutors, they, they don't necessarily need to be your tippity top readers in the class. The, you know, the research doesn't really uh, bear that out where it just needs to be a, a, the lead reader just needs to be somewhat higher, I would say, than the lower level reader. And so perhaps there's, uh, you know, I would ask for volunteers. I would say, uh, you know, who is there, and then you could do it discreetly, you know, with a survey mm -hmm. or something, but, uh, you know, find students in your class that would like to participate in that role, but then don't, um, you know, chain them to always forever mm -hmm. being the lead reader every time that the situation persists where the lead readers, they have an opportunity to sort of opt in and opt out as they, as, as they like, um, and that their, their dosage isn't super high because they still have their own reading progress that, that uh, needs to be accounted for. And, and the dynamics of that can get a bit tricky, but it's, it's doable as a teacher. Um, and then, and then integrating with classroom instruction where possible, as I mentioned, those are probably my big takeaways for how to implement uh, diet reading effectively in, in the classroom. And, and perhaps we might add, um, you know, maybe a hundred days worth, or maybe, you know, perhaps not every day for the whole school year, for half a school year, but that monitor your students well, we, and, we and saw exit them. growth in 60 days. That's one third of a school year. Uh, and then maybe you move on to other kinds of reading practices that support their their growth. Um, it is important to remember that the lead readers weren't hurt in their progress. Lead readers still went on and, and uh, made progress, but we were concerned about the attitudes about um, being the lead readers over an, an extended period of time. And maybe uh, without the kinds of choices that you've just described, even with the choices of text. If the assisted reader, if the text is determined by the assisted reader's preference or needs, then you're leaving out that textual choice for the lead readers. So uh, I could even imagine, I would love in a classroom if some of my assisted readers became the lead readers because of sufficient growth and then remixing of student assignments so that it's not uh, I'm a strong reader or I'm a weak reader and you know I never get past that uh, dividing line. And uh, that was, if I remember right, that was one of your findings from the 2018 study was just by the way it was designed there were some um, lead readers that by the way the class split that they were actually below benchmark and they did very well you know even at, in serving as a, as a lead reader. Um, and then perhaps we could add making sure to, to exit students from diet reading that. If your assisted reader doesn't need to be assisted anymore, then they should mm -hmm. be tackling those complex texts, you know, classroom texts uh, independently. And that's sort of that next step in that trajectory, you know, we were talking about. Yeah, I think especially at th grades three and four, you don't want to just perpetuate fast oral reading, get through text. Um, because you want the comprehension and you want that transition to silent reading. Uh, so, Dr. Moore, thank you for a fantastic conversation about all things uh, dyad reading. The final question I ask in every podcast episode is, is what it means to be a great teacher. So perhaps I will ask you that first, mm -hmm. and then you can uh, ask me, and uh, that's Okay, the the that's a great question. It's a good uh, anchor question. 
I think my response to what it means to be a great teacher is to know enough and and then want to know more uh, on behalf of the students. It's an ongoing, you know, process of learning. But I guess I'm most concerned with this tendency to reduce, to simplify, to to uh, rather than complexify or sophisticate our instruction. We should know more, and fundamentally, we know more so that we know what to do, for whom, why, for how long, how much, and that that a great teacher knows how to teach the individuals according to their needs within that large group. So it's looking after the individual within that large group context, I think, that makes an outstanding teacher. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, my thoughts on what it means to be a great teacher is uh, I really like your know enough and want to know more. That would make just a great, you know, those little teacher plaques that, that you know. That, well, that another mantra you could put up is like, uh, let's do this and then what's next? That's you know, it's always sort of the next, the next step, step and that's what teachers have to be thinking about too. I like that. Um, so mine was actually along a similar, uh, similar idea where I think it, what it means to be a great teacher is, is it means to be committed to your students. And, and there's a lot of layers to that of, you know, you need to be committed to them, uh, you know, to them as, as human beings. And so that involves that social element of being able to connect with them and, uh, you know, appreciate, you know, who they are and where they've come and, and where they're going and really understand them. That, that group cohesion, I think any teacher, you know, will say that's the part that, you know, mm. one of the parts that makes teaching really enjoyable. Um, but, you know, if, if you just have this great, fun, really connected classroom, that doesn't necessarily mean <laughs> that great learning is happening either. And so part of being committed to your students, in, in my opinion, is knowing how to teach them and teach them really well. And that's knowing pedagogy. That's knowing best practices. That's being able to pinpoint where students are at in their reading trajectory or you know other subjects as well and then being able to what's next how do I take that student to that next level mm -hmm. and um, and and teaching is it is hard work and it's hard it's hard but um, <laughs> and the what next might be tomorrow yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah. it's, it's a change. very organic uh, process yeah. yeah but I, I think great teachers are committed to their students so Dr. Kit Moore, thanks for joining us on the Teaching Literacy Podcast. Thank you, Jake, for having me. A great big thank you to Dr. Moore for joining us for this episode where we talked about dyad reading. I've already said much of what I want to say about dyad reading, so I'll try to keep this part short for you, but I do have two quick thoughts I want to share. And these aren't necessarily about dyad reading particularly, but more about how to be an effective classroom teacher and how to bridge literacy research into practice. My first thought has to deal around with this concept of dosage. Dosage isn't really something I thought much about early on in my career. Of we just, I just taught what I felt was good practice, and that good practice would just be enough to carry the day. But as I've read a lot of literacy research, and I've uh, 
just began to see literacy in a more nuanced view, I see this issue of dosage is really important. That in this study in particular, the majority of the growth that the students made, they made it within the first 60 days. So 90 days was was still beneficial, but for many of those students, 60 days probably could have been enough. And so by attending to dosage better with how we do literacy treatments or interventions, that will help us know when it's time to fade a student out and then of, of one intervention and then start giving them a different, either a more sophisticated intervention or one that's going to better suit their needs. And so dosage matters a whole ton. And that goes back to that issue of exiting dyad readers as well. Some readers would probably need a much lower dosage to get them to benchmark reading levels, whereas other readers might need a higher dosage. And so if as teachers we want to differentiate our instruction, part of that is paying attention to how long are interventions effective, uh, I guess what is the maximum amount of efficiency we get before there starts to be declines in that over time. And I think if we pay attention to that, we can become better literacy educators. My second thought has to deal with implementing classroom research uh, into practice. And uh, I, I think this, my sort of my evolution with my views of dyad reading is, is a really nice case example of that, where in the beginning, I very much copied and pasted what was in that Brown, 28, Brown and colleagues 2018 article that we mentioned. I just took basically the exact procedures they did in the study, copied and pasted it, and, and put that into practice in my classroom. And I think that was a fine approach. I don't think there's necessarily anything blaringly wrong with that. However, one thing that it did do is it removed me as a decision maker within my classroom. That study was set aside to, it was designed to answer specific questions. In that case, it was asking the specific question of how does different levels of text influence academic outcomes? And they found that two levels appeared to be the most beneficial. It wasn't necessarily a study on how to best implement dyad reading within the classroom. Uh, I think actually the earlier articles, the Eldridge articles from the late 80s, actually do a pretty good job of that. So... um, as I've gone over time, though, I've realized that if, if for a teacher to really effectively bridge literacy research from a study into the classroom, they must include themselves. They must take a look at the study, what made the outcomes of that study or that particular practice effective, and then the, that, that efficacy component is what gets translated into that classroom practice with its unique context, students, needs, etc., etc., And I really think that by us as teachers not removing ourselves from the equation, but by consciously including ourselves as part of the equation, we can become better literacy educators. The purpose of this podcast is I've been doing it for almost a year now. At first, it really started out as, you know, just relaying what's going on in research to teachers. But the more I get into it, the more strongly I feel that this podcast is actually about helping teachers make better decisions within their classroom. And if I can give teachers a better background of what effective literacy practices are saying, that's going to help them make better decisions in the classroom. Because in the end, effective practice does nothing if if there's no skilled teacher that can make decisions and implement it effectively. That is all for this episode of the Teaching Literacy Podcast. Thank you for being with me through 19 episodes. I appreciate uh, all of you that listen to the podcast. I appreciate all of you that have shared an episode of the podcast with a colleague or someone else that you know. And that is all that I would ask is, is if you find this podcast beneficial, please share it with someone that you think 
would benefit from it as well. Uh, The podcast is experiencing continued growth. It's reaching a broader audience. And I believe together we can become better literacy teachers and help support all of our reading kids achieve whatever maximum potential they have. Thanks for listening to our conversation today. Remember to check out the show notes for more details. If you have feedback or a show idea, feel free to email me at teachingliteracypodcast at gmail.com. This is Jake with the Teaching Literacy Podcast, and until next time, let's go and teach literacy just a little bit better.